friends, Romans, countrymen, let me ears. Hello, everyone. This is episode 98 of the MC Lars podcast. It is Monday, July 13th, 2020. We have Dr. Jessica Hebert. I recorded this episode before the birth of our son, and Dr. Hebert performs in a band called the PDX Broadsides, which started as a pirate-themed kind of folk nerd band, and they've expanded from that. She lives in Portland. This was a really cool interview. I think it's kind of cool. Last week, we had Dr. Jeb Middlebrook. This week, we have Dr. Jessica Hebert. We just have the smartest, coolest people on the MC Lars podcast. This weekend, saw the final Mount Nerdcore show this past weekend. We are... Um, redoing the brand because of all the conversation about statues and what they represent and cultural hegemony and Mount Rushmore. So we thought we don't need to be doing Mount Nerdcore anymore. We'll keep it moving. But anyway, thank you to everyone who tuned into the stream uh, with Shave for the Dark Lord, MC Frontalot, Mega Ran, and then we had special guest IQ and Leva Bates who hosted it, who's a wrestler, who's dope. So that was super fun. And uh, yeah, everything is good. You know, I was... I took a little break uh, from the Twitch streams. Why did I take a break? Well, for some reason, my laptop hasn't been working as well. I don't need to get into the details. I want to bring it back, but in the meantime, I've been bringing back Hatchet Chat on my YouTube channel, doing music videos. I just dropped the Bible LP, and this Friday it hit Spotify and everything. I'm donating all the profits to a Black Lives Matter um organization called the Black Organizing Project. They're based in Oakland and they're a black member-led community organization that works for racial, social, and economic justice through grassroots organizing and community building in Oakland, California. You can follow them on Twitter, the Black Org Project. All the profits from the Bible LP will go towards them because, you know, I want to just give back, use the music to do some good and People are talking a lot about social justice and everything right now. It's the election year. I used to be worried that I was like annoying my conservative fans by talking about this stuff, but I realize it's, you know, I mean, we can disagree. I don't say anything egregious. I don't think I'm crazy. I think saying like racism sucks, saying that like the police need to be less brutal, all this stuff, if it offends you, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I'm just going to say it. So yeah, so I'm going to be posting more about the uh, Black Organizing Project this week, and that's a heads up on that. I have my Thor Ragnarok song dropping on Patreon this week, then I have Ant-Man and the Wasp, and then the Infinity War song, and then Endgame, and then uh, Spider-Man, the second Spider-Man song. Then I'm doing the Lars Wars series, where I'm doing songs about every movie in the Star Wars franchise. So tune into that, patreon.com slash Lars. Uh, Tuesdays, I drop a new 27th Street. Wednesdays, I'm going to be dropping a new Hatchet Chat with my boy MC Snacks. Thursday, I do a Throwback Thursday. So I'm doing, this week, I'm going to post the video for Signing Emo and write a little essay about that song. And then Friday, I've been doing the Freestyle Fridays. Also, if you haven't seen it, I started a new Instagram. It's called the at Roger Rabbit Collector, inspired by my friend Sean, the Beavis and Butthead Collector. And every few days, I post like photos of my Roger Rabbit merchandise collection. I have a very big collection and i talk about the history of the movie and it's so check that out on instagram if you want if you're not interested in who framed roger rabbit that's fine too i don't mind uh so let's get into it before we do let's check out this week's letter to atlas from doc pop a former guest on the mc Lars podcast is he sleeping? Is he pooping? Just checking in. How's a little boy doing? These are some messages that you left. Wishing our little baby boy the best. Now it's time for Letters to Atlas. Please leave a message after the tone. 
Uh, yo, Atlas, happy birthday. Um, it is uh, May 4th. May the 4th be with you. I, I don't know if they still have Star Wars in the future or not when you're listening to this. I just wanted to give you some advice. Uh, my name is Dr. Popular, and I just wanted to say never trust anyone who calls themselves a doctor who didn't graduate from school. Like, if, if, they, if they, a doctor is in quotes, Maybe see someone else for, you know, whatever illness you have. That's it. Happy birthday. Thanks, Doc Pop. Now, Dr. Popular, not only did he produce part of the Digital Gangster LP, he's a great rapper and he makes yo-yos and he has a cool Instagram. So check him out. And uh, that was dope that he called in. Thanks, buddy. Okay. Well, what else? I think we pretty much covered everything. I want to give a shout out to the Patreon Larshans, as I always do. I, every week I give a shout out to some of them. Shout out to the new ones who just signed up, Matt, Wes, and Farrell Black. And shout out to the old ones, Brady Cox, Mike, and Lars Sneed. Now, Lars Sneed, this dude is interesting. He's a uh, Southern gentleman who comes to every single show within like driving distance when I'm on tour. He discovered me because back when I did the Hot Topic is not punk rock song, he saw Hot Topic was selling my MC Lars shirt, and it was kind of like a hilarious thing to me that they wanted to sell one of my shirts. Anyway, he was, his name is Lars. He's like, oh, that's funny. Haha. <laughs> and he bought it, and he's come to see me a million times. So we are doing a tour right now. It's about to be announced, but if everything's cool, we're going to go out in March and do the whole country, the um, Mount Nerdcore gang, formerly known as Mount Nerdcore, and myself. So lo look forward to that, nerdcoretour.com. And of course, I keep posting everything. And uh, yeah, oh, the last thing I wanted to announce, I'm doing, I'm working on an Edgar Allan Poe one-man show. Uh, this whole thing with Hamilton being on Disney Plus is very inspiring to see like how hip-hop can be educational and theatrical. So I'm going to put together a one-man show where I do the history of Edgar Allan Poe and raps about some of his best works. My friend Baba Brinkman, who was one of the first guests on this podcast, does the rap guide to blank, blank, blank does these one-man shows about certain things. So I want to do the Edgar Allan Poe LP. I think I'm going to call it A Rapper Explains Edgar Allan Poe. And uh, so I'm going to do a Kickstarter for the album. We're going to do vinyl. We're going to do USBs. We're going to do videos, projections. It's going to be like one of my biggest ever independent undertakings. So keep your eyes peeled for that. I'm going to keep talking about it on the podcast and on social media until you're sick of it. So that's what's up. I haven't launched a Kickstarter yet, but I think I will in september maybe august i don't know who knows life is fungible life is flexible do or do not there is no try that's kind of my motto when it comes to crowdfunding you know if you believe in a project and you can communicate to your fans how dope it is things generally work out and that is because i have the best fans in the world yeah i said it okay here's dr jessica hebert a really brilliant funny talented woman and uh, check out the PDX broadsides. PDX, why are they called PDX? We get into it, but PDX is the Portland Airport code. Get it? Hilarious. <laughs> no, that is that's a good name for a band. Okay, here we go. This is Dr. Jessica Hebert. Ladies and gentlemen, I am here with Dr. Jessica Hebert of the PDX Broadsides, and we are in Corona lockdown doing this podcast 
remotely and i'm really glad we made it happen thank you for being on the show Woo! thank you so much for having me this is the best part of coronavirus lockdown is that finally lars and i get to have a conversation which we've only been trying to do for what like a year now at least a year and like we met irl in portland at with the mount nerdcore tour right like over a year ago yeah, that was the first time we got to meet in in Meet Space. But I've been a fan of of yours since uh, Carmen San Diego has really bad morals. Like, hey, <laughs> I've been I've been around for a minute. Um, I that that song just cracks me up every time I hear it. Uh, Carmen San Diego is my favorite of all possible supervillains. So, uh, I I was very appreciative. Um, and now I, I love everything that you've made since then. So it's it's been a, a long time fan standing. That is sweet. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And um, that's one of those songs that's like kind of, you know how when you write songs, sometimes you do something you think is really funny to you that you don't know if other people are going to get it. And so like, I'm glad you like that song because that's one of my favorites <laughs> from that album. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Uh, and I, I really loved uh, the Dewey Decibel system, too, because that's kind of getting to, like, that is such clever writing, and you and Mega Ran together just killing it. So, Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, it was fun to get to finally see you on tour and then be like, hi, I make I make music, too. Can we be, can we be friends? And now we are. And now we are doing this interview and talking, and I want to know about the History of the PDX Broadsides, I want to know about your work. Am, am I right? You study placentas? I am a placentologist. Yeah. It is a real job that you wow. can have when you grow up. Stay in school, don't do drugs. Yeah, it's a, a, a thing. Um, I study how placentas function when things go wrong. When placentas attack. And yeah, uh, my... <laughs> Graduate work uh, was all in um, how do the blood vessels of the placenta change when um, the baby is a boy versus when baby is a girl when mom has preeclampsia. And now I take those same concepts and I'm studying how mitochondria function in the placenta in gestational diabetes and how that again changes when baby is a boy when uh, versus when baby is a girl. And it turns out Boys and girls use their placentas very differently, and uh, that changes the way that we can treat things like gestational diabetes and preeclampsia in the mum. And that's very, very important because if we can treat the placenta, we can treat the way that a baby grows and... um, A small baby is bad, a too big baby is bad, and those babies grow up to have um, health problems like diabetes, heart problems, kidney failure, and they're pretty common. Preeclampsia happens in uh, 10% of all human pregnancies, and gestational diabetes is 7% and rising. So if we can treat those babies now, then we prevent them from getting um, health issues when they get older. So that's a big part of my work. And, and when the baby's born, the baby comes out and then the placenta comes out second, usually, right? Yes. So uh, two fun facts about the placenta that you can take to your next cocktail party um, and be the, the life of the party or be asked never to return again. Uh, one, the placenta is the only temporary organ the human body ever makes. Oh. Yeah. It's not the thymus. I will fight you. But uh, the placenta has a job for nine months, and then it stops its job. The end. Um, Number two, 
every single one of us has made one because it's made by the fetus, not by the mother. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. That's why we can tell so much about what is going on with baby and how baby is responding to it, because baby makes it. And that means the genes that drive that uh, creation of the placenta are babies, moms, and dads. So this is pregnancy by committee. So it's very important to understand all of the sides of, of that. So the placenta is an attachment point. Its main job is to exchange nutrients between mom and baby. So when it's done, we get to take it. Mm. I mean, it's great. It's this disposable organ instead of getting rid of it or eating it. Please don't. Uh, we get to, to do research on it, and it's great. I've heard about placenta tacos. I don't know. Is that a joke? Or do people... Is that a cultural thing? Some people do eat it for fun or? Some people do eat it. So let's say (laughs) you're in a place where you don't have access to food and you have a Mm -hmm. baby and you have a placenta. Go ahead and eat that placenta. It's got nutrients in it, I I guess, as calories. But if you have access to a grocery store, there isn't really a need for you to eat that placenta. You have food. Right. Uh, There isn't anything special in that placenta. In fact, there are things that are harmful in the placenta if it's not processed correctly that can hurt you and your baby. Because does the placenta act as a filtration organ too? Or like what's harmful? Sure does. Yeah. Um, It is debated whether or not, uh, welcome to a hot topic in placentology. And uh, I'm I'm so one of the things that coronavirus has taken from me is right. that um, I was supposed to go to a conference in Vancouver, BC, uh, the Society for Reproductive Investigation conference. It's a good party, y'all, and they were doing a, a mini symposium on whether or not the placenta has its own um, microorganisms, and it was going to mm. be a fight. I was going to bring popcorn. Like science fights are the best. I'm right. such a nerd for this thing. I understand, right. but um, yeah, it's a hotly debated whether or not the placenta has its own microorganisms all the way through pregnancy or whether it picks it up on its way out. Like, we're not sure yet. But either way, it's got microorganisms when it comes out, so maybe don't put it in your mouth. (laughs) I'm just saying. This is very interesting. So how do you balance your time as a placentologist and being in a nerd rock band? I'm like 80% coffee by volume. (laughs) And... uh, I don't sleep at night. No, I, I use pretty much all of my vacation days to go to cons and go on tour. <laughs> and uh, I, I get, I'll get inspired at work by something and then have to be like, I'm taking a 15. I have a, I have a conference call uh, to go answer. I'll be right back. And then I go scribble down a song real quick. Right. Um, the broadsides are... Um, I, I love my bandmates so much, Haliana and Christian, and we've been uh, a band since September 2011. So, yeah, this is our 10 years. Yeah, it's so weird. Um, Christian joined us in 2012, though. So he says we're we're almost eight, not that we're almost nine. Okay, (laughs) That's, that's up to him. But uh, we, we work together very uh, cohesively. And we because we all live in the same city, we get together 
every Tuesday night, though right now it's virtual <laughs> instead of together at my house, which is a bummer. And we write songs together and we just sort of work like a, a Voltron songwriting machine. We take turns being the head, though. That's great. And um, you have a lot of YouTube videos and a lot of content on Spotify and like that many years. Um, do you have a regular release schedule or do you kind of like just release stuff as you produce it? Or do you try to be like, okay, an album every six months? No, um, our, our theory is we make, we make an album when the demand comes for it. And that demand is kind of measured by, do we have fans buying our albums? Do we have the money in the bank to do that? Because we want to do it right. We've done two Kickstarters uh, for our last two albums. Um, our, Previous two albums were Trust Issues and Relatable Content, which are kind of um, sister albums in a way. Uh, and those are albums number four and five. We've done five studio wow. albums. Yeah. Uh, and they are about fandoms and feelings and nerdery and uh, things that make us very angry in the world today. So uh, I fans heard some of the songs that were getting ready to come out on on trust issues and they're like do a kickstarter so we did and they came out mm. in a big way uh for relatable content it was the album plus our first east coast tour so that wow. was rad and we did that in october we went from that's awesome uh raleigh up to boston and got to perform with sarah donner and uh juliana finch and the misbehaving maidens and rhiannon's lark uh, a lot of super positive uh, feminist song energy, and that was wonderful. <laughs> That's tight. Um, well, congratulations on the crowdfunding and the hustle. And it's amazing to that you can balance your, it seems like your very serious, busy career <laughs> and your art career, career as an artist. Like, hats off to you for doing both. That's amazing. <laughs> Thanks. It's yeah. sometimes a, a, a bit of a, a contention and a bit of a struggle because sometimes, you know, science can be a little stodgy and sometimes people don't get it. And they're like, well, you really need to be spending more time in the lab if you want to uh, advance. And that's true. But I made a decision a long time ago that I wanted to be happy. And part of being mm. happy for me is making art and making music. And so it means I'm not going to publish in nature every year or get 50 R01 grants. Um, it means I'm going to find the money to do the things that I love and be in this weird placenta niche and also be in the weird nerd pop game. And that is, right. that's my heart. I, I love being able to do both. So it's it's a sacrifice, but it's what you do. You know, I think that music, when you love it and you enjoy it and it's something you want to put your time into versus like an obligation that like when it becomes a career where it, like it's all you do, when you're doing it for fun, I think you create better art when it's like therapeutic and like when it taps into that need versus the, having to punch a clock, you know what I mean? Like treating like a day job. I think you create a much better output. And it seems like so many artists who have like a side way of making money on the side, make better music. Would you hmm. say that that makes you appreciate it more or would you ever want to do it full time? I think about um, uh, serendipity from Dogma and how she was really good at inspiring everyone else and decided to go out on her own and was like, there was nothing. And I wonder if music was my full-time gig and I, I felt the pressure to constantly be creating. Um, 
if that would change what I'm writing about or the way that I felt about it. So mm. I, I think I need both parts. I need left and right brain stimulation in order to feel complete. And that's just me. I fully appreciate anyone who can go out and like our friends, the double clicks who go on these massive five week plus tours. I don't know that's the gig for me. I think I might. Mm. <laughs> I don't know that my yeah. bandmates would want to deal with me after five weeks on the road. <laughs> as close as we are, that's a lot to ask. So, yeah, it's it's exhausting and it's very much, it's very hard to eat healthy and, and sleep. And it's just you being on tours that long, it's not fun. It stops being fun. After, I like to do it the most now, three weeks, you know, and then be home. Any longer than that is. When I was in my 20s, it was easier, but now, nah. nah. <laughs> so you got to love it. You want to still be – the moment you stop hate, stop liking doing music is when I don't think you should do it. You know what I mean? Why do it? Because it's we don't do it for the bags of money or for the millions of views. You aren't making bags of money? Is that just me <laughs> making mad bank on this nerd music business? Oh, I'll have to share with you some of my, my tips for making money. Step one, <laughs> become a thief. Step <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It's, I, I know some people, though, uh, like my friend Matt Brown was in a band called Uncle Green for a long time, and he uh, made a lot of music. He was uh, like international traveler and then stopped. And he has started making music again in the last five years or so and inspiring other people to do the same. I think it's sometimes a thing that maybe you can come back to. Um, mm. I mean, I made a lot of music when I was in high school and college. I did like choirs and um, it wasn't until I was in Portland. It was like eight eight, nine years ago now that uh, music got to really fully re-enter my life in this way. I never intended to be in a band. It just sort of happened. Right. So. that's How did you meet your bandmates then? Um, we got drunk in a shed. That is the the short version. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. Uh, it was one night. So we used to, uh, I still belong to this group, but it's um, a group of pirates called PDX Yar. Uh, and I am their captain. We are a performing, piratical, uh, professional performing crew up and down the West Coast. We fire cannons and sing shanties and do crazy things for fun. Piratical means pirate or a parody? No, pr uh, pirate. P-I-R-A-T? Yes. Piratical like that? Okay. Piratical. That's a cool word. <laughs> okay, t so tell me more about that. My gift to you. I hope to hear yeah, thank the future you. song. We had just finished a gig and um, Holly and I and our friend Brandy were in a <laughs> sitting in this shed drinking wine and we're exhausted. And Holly says, hey, so I found these dirty girl shanties, uh, like roll your leg over and roll me over in the clover. And I think it would be fun if we learned how to sing them for the pirates. So, All right. So we started singing them in the shed and uh, we sang them for the crew like a day or so later. And they said, oh, that's really good. We're going on a podcast in a week. You should sing them on there. Uh, and we went on Geek in the City, sang these dirty songs, and they went, <laughs> those were the PDX broadsides, because we were three girls singing right. filthy songs. 
And uh, it kind of stuck. And people started calling the pirate crew like, hey, can I can I get your really dirty girl singers for this event or that event? And uh, they kind of got tired of getting calls about that. So they're like, you guys, you can still be pirates, but go do this music thing that you're doing. Do it over there. Uh, right. And Brandy sort of got overwhelmed with all of the, like, events that we were doing. And we met Christian, and Christian's like, well, I play the guitar a little, I guess. <laughs> it turned out he was really, really good. He's just got a background as a drummer, so he doesn't see himself as a guitarist. And he joined the band, and we started writing about zombies and Star Trek and Nathan Fillion's butt, and the rest is kind of history. <laughs> Those of you who may not know, PDX is the airport code for Portland. Yeah. The broadside that's like a part of a ship... Uh, so a broadside is when all the cannons on one side of the ship fire at the same time. Hey! Yes. That's right. Uh, and it's also, um, broadsides are a newspaper printing term. So, and Holly was an editor at the time for a magazine. So that was kind of appropriate. But really, they... Right. Is the the podcast we were on picked up on the word broad, remembered that broadside was a pirate word, and just started yelling it at everybody until it stuck. And then Stump Town, because they were building so quickly they didn't get to remove the tree stumps. I heard that. Is that Portland? Yeah. So Benson um, was a timber guy, and um, so Portland was sort of built for timber workers, and um Benson is also famous in Portland for building what's called the Benson Bubblers. There are little water fountains all over Portland that you can oh. stop and take a drink in because Benson wanted his uh, workers to stop drinking booze all the time and maybe <laughs> try water as, <laughs> as an alternative. So he made it available. Uh, and the Benson Bubblers are still all over Portland today. That's cool. Uh, the uh, the term I was trying to remember is Rip City. Have you oh, heard that? Oh, Rip City. Heck yes. Yeah. So where were you born? Uh, I was born at Misawa Air Base, which is on the northern island of Hokkaido in Japan. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm an Air Force brat. Wow. So you must, did you move a, around a lot growing up? Yeah. Uh, my dad retired when I was 11, but um, we lived in Japan twice. Uh, Florida, which is another foreign country, uh, <laughs> Idaho. Um, but then we moved back to where my parents were born and raised. In fact, we moved into a house three doors down from the house my mom grew up in, in Minot, North Dakota. Wow. So, yeah, that's where I went to high school there, hey? And then uh, <laughs> I went to college in Minnesota before I moved out to Portland. Don't you know? That's good. That's you got the good accent. Thanks. It's largely scrubbed now, but when I get stressed out, my O's are the first thing to go. You oh, you bet. <laughs> so so people so the yeah the, the that's kind of like inspired by the Swedish settlers there, right? The that's what I heard. Like the oh, like how you doing? You betcha. This is an entire like dissertation on the accents of the Midwest. Yeah, but it's Scandinavian and German settlers, and mm. um, I can tell by listening which state you're from. In fact, that's awesome. In Minnesota, I can tell whether you're from the Twin Cities or if you're from somewhere else. But uh, yeah, the O's and the E's get different. Like in Wisconsin, they say "beg" a lot. It's a very bright accent. Right. Uh, it's almost Vermonter uh, in how bright it gets. Um, North Dakota is very dry and dropped 
almost entirely. And uh, in Minnesota, the O's are very round. So you can tell kind of their pocket dialects. <laughs> Friend who's a musician in um, Minneapolis, and I always say vague. He says vague. It's possible that he's an autodidact and he learned it by reading it and right. <laughs> got stuck in his head that way. Let's. Can we talk a little bit about your grad school experience and like how... You found yourself in this field? I've been in research since 2002. Um, I started in lung and breast cell cancer research um, at Minnesota State University Moorhead, go Dragons. And um, I had a great experience, did four and a half years of undergrad research. And I moved to Portland because I thought OHSE was doing really great science. And I met a boy and he was in Portland. So I was like, well, let's move out there and see what happens. Um, and I married the boy and that has hey. worked out pretty well. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, we've been married 10 years in May, which is crazy. Wow. Yeah, his name is Royal. He is the light of my life. He's the best. How did you meet Royal? Uh, vampire LARP. Life is weird, but uh, we don't we don't we don't LARP anymore. Now we play pirates. It's totally grown up. I moved out here and I started doing. Um, I I was just taking research where I could get it, uh, but I ended up joining a lab that was primarily doing HPV and cervical cancer research with some kidney stuff on the side. It was all about pregnancy, but he was sort of trying to define where he was going. And one day we were doing the this ultrasound on mouse kidneys who had preeclampsia and noticed a blood flow change. And he said, well, what if we move the ultrasound probe over just an inch and take a look at the placentas? And it turned out the placentas had this totally different blood flow pattern. And that was January mm. of 2010. And that was that was when my life changed. I became all about the placenta from there on out. That's cool. So... I got excited about it, ended up going to grad school in 2013 and did my rotations and ended up back in this guy's lab. His name's Terry Morgan, and he is uh, kind of my laboratory uh, godfather. So <laughs> uh, he, he looks That's out awesome. for me even still. He's a, a good mentor, and I, I'm all about the I'm hashtag team placenta all day, every day now. How is placenta research funded? Mostly through the National Institutes of Health. Um, they have an entire uh, department, the NICHD, uh, the National Institute for Child Health and Development. And there's, because a lot of what we can learn about from the placenta affects the way that that child develops, and then what diseases they go on to get as adults, um, that is a very fundable source for us. And we also have uh, philanthropists who want to fund research that makes a difference and helps future health disparity research. So yeah, there's, there is funding. Um, but as you can imagine, those pools are very tight right now, especially with our federal government the way that it is. So, you know, we watch our dollars. How many people work in the team with you? In my lab, it's very small. It's my mentor and then me. I'm his postdoc, and we have a half-time technician. And wow. that that's it. Uh, but on working on the placenta on our floor, there's um, a couple of other groups that are interested in it. And then there are placenta placentologists worldwide who, God bless Twitter, that uh, <laughs> we, we talk on Twitter 
all the time. I've made some wonderful uh, mentors and collaborations via Twitter where we end up talking outside of that and going, we have very similar interests. What can we, what can we generate together? So it's not like there's only three people in the world who are interested in this. There are actually a couple thousand, believe it or not, placentologists out there. When you started, was it less popular and is it something that's growing or has it always been kind of like a popular thing to study? Um, I think it's growing. Um, the placenta yeah. has, I mean, there are papers dating way, way back on here's, here's what a placenta looks like and here's what it's doing. But I think it really started to gain popularity in the 60s, uh, partic- uh, some work that came out of Cambridge um, from Boyd and Hamilton, which showed a whole lot of pictures of what the placenta looked like through different stages, starting at like 12 weeks all the way through term. Um, they got in the 60s, they managed to get a picture of the placentas of septuplets, which was, wow, yeah, it's weird. Uh, multiple, <laughs> I love multiple births because the placentas are the craziest. Uh, they're never the same. Do they same. ever share them? They do. do they share a placenta? Wow. Yeah, sometimes they do. Uh, it's all about wow. where they implant in the uterus. Super, and they always look super crazy. So <laughs> I, I love them. Um, but I think where it really, really picked up speed was actually thanks to a guy named David Barker, who was a researcher at OHSU in the late 80s. And he said, hey, did you know that by looking at the placenta, we might be able to tell kind of what diseases you get later, because it turns out that these babies whose moms all were part of the Dutch famine, when they grew up, particularly when they were boys, uh, they had high blood pressure and hypertension and Mm. diabetes. So why the heck was that happening? Oh, it's because of what their mothers didn't get to eat. And Mm. it spawned this whole field. So yeah, the field's still pretty young, about... Uh, 30 years old at this point. What's the world record for babies? Is it like seven or eight? I don't know what the world record is for uh, multiple gestation. How many babies are all up in there? It's riskier, right? Like having seven or eight babies is, is can be dangerous, right? Mo babies, mo problems. Right. But yeah. Uh, it's a problem of supply and demand. I mean, you've got all these babies growing. You have to be able to furnish them with enough nutrients and blood flow in order to be healthy and happy. And if you're full of baby, (laughs) it's why uh, twins and triplets are born earlier than single pregnant, uh, singleton pregnancies and why those babies are smaller. There's just like less room Mm. for them to grow and less nutrients available. So yeah, you have to be real careful, careful with those multiples. And it was a reason why Octomom was like so ethically wrong because she put her own life at risk, her baby's life at risk, and she did it on purpose. And that's gross. Don't do that. She had eight eggs fertilized and planted in her to see how, did she know she was going to have eight or was she just trying to get as many babies as possible? I think she was trying to get as many as possible when they said, um, so eight are viable. And she was like, I want them all. I'll take the lot. Like she's Cruella DeVille and their Dalmatian puppies. Like, I'll take them all. No, that's (laughs) gross. Well, this this is interesting because I've never talked to a placentologist on the podcast. (laughs) And um, I wanted to also ask you, I know I've been asked a lot of questions about 
your scientific studies. Let's talk a little bit about your musical influences and some of your favorite records and like what caused you to fall in love with music as a young child or whenever you first realized how important music was. Man, um so I was I was raised in the Lutheran church, you know, and uh in the Lutheran church you learn harmonies kind of as quick as you learn to breathe. Everybody mm. is harmonizing along to hymns from the very start. So I started singing in the church. Uh, and as a uh, kid, like I got a lot of compliments on like, oh, wow, you've got a set of lungs. I can project like nobody's business. Um, I can do the Swedish sheep herding calls, the the coolings, the echo. Um, I've I've got the diaphragm power for that. So it's wow. like even when my voice wasn't quite trained yet as a kid, it's like, well, she's loud. Put her <laughs> let her let her do the thing. Um, right. so uh I ended up getting a music scholarship when I went to college. I had a I uh, auditioned at a couple of different schools and I had full ride music scholarships to a couple of them. And I took the full ride science scholarship <laughs> as an act of rebellion because I was told that, Oh, stick to musical theater, sweetie, you won't ever make it as a scientist. Wow. Yeah. My AP <laughs> chemistry teacher, she told me that I shouldn't be a scientist and laughed at me. So uh, here I am, Mrs. Struby. What was her rationale? Because it's a competitive field or what? I don't think she thought that I would make it. I don't think she thought I was serious enough about science. And she was actually really dismissive and rude about it. Take that, right? <laughs> yeah. It, I was not a rebellious child, like didn't drink, didn't sneak cigarettes, didn't try to sneak out of my house. But science was my <laughs> act of rebellion at 18. It was like, I'm going to be a scientist. Eat me. And yeah. So it all kind of uh, it kind of worked out. So, what were some of your first favorite um, albums then? Now I hate saying that I loved it, but the Ace of Base, uh, I saw the Sign album when that one came out. I listened to it repeatedly. Uh, I loved it. That's a great record. Uh, Weird Al's Running with Scissors came out when I was in high school, and I remember turning on the TV one day to, I think it was VH1, and they were doing um, one of Al's live concerts, and I just sat there transfixed the whole time and could not believe that this was a thing on TV that you could do, be funny, and make music. Um, I used to make up little songs to amuse my sister. I came up with this whole like uh, weird story and would would tell her like layers of the story every time to make her her laugh. And it started involving funny songs. Uh, and so getting to make those again means I get to take my brain off the leash and just sing about crazy things and whatever I can think of at that particular moment. And it's, it's great. I love it. I like your, um, your Fraggle Rock, Ragnarok parody. We don't do a lot of parodies. Uh, we do right. primarily originals, but when we do a parody, it's because something has really struck us. Uh, the first non-pirate song we ever did was a parody. It was a parody of If I Die Young by the band Perry, which is about, like, teen suicide. And uh, we made it about zombies instead, which makes it much better. 
the Ragnarok song because Fraggle Rock sounds a lot like Ragnarok and it was about the time that Thor Ragnarok was coming out. Yeah. Oh, uh, Rolling in the Sheep, which is a Settlers of Catan parody of hey. with apologies to Adele. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we do parodies when we're like, you know what? This song really calls for it and it's stuck in our heads. So we're going to do it. But largely we would rather put that energy towards doing original songs because we have ideas. And uh, when you don't do parody, it means you don't have to follow a uh, strict structure. You don't have to follow what someone else has decided the patterns or the chords should be like, you're you're off the leash. You can do whatever you want. Right, right. And you and you're able to well, and there's something more creative about writing having control over everything, right? And being able to be the master of the vision. And so when you are all writing, um, how do you make sure it stays collaborative? Like what are some things that have worked as collaboration tools and to make sure everyone's feels they've contributed evenly or do you have certain songs or like this is my song this is your song like how has that process been with the band it started that if you wrote a song and you brought it to us we were just like well you're the lead singer on this and we'll fill in wherever else it makes sense and now that's kind of shifted um I would say about 75% of what we write starts as lyrics that one of us has written, and then we come together to write the music to it. Um, but I think the mm. rest of it, one of us comes up with an idea and we just sort of collaboratively build it together around my dining room table. It's part of the joy of getting to meet up once a week is say, I had this idea, here's the shared Google Doc where I was sort of working with it. What do you think is missing? And we start messing with chords or like, I don't really like the way this word fits. And it's, um, I've referred to us as the wild, the weaver and the worm from werewolf mythology, which is uh, like Christian is the wild. He is constantly generating lots and lots and lots of ideas. I'm the weaver. I'm like, that's a good idea. I'm going to make it real. And Holly is the worm. She's the editor. And she tells us when we are bad and should shut up. Uh, we That's need good. That's we important. need to be edited sometimes. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, I've noticed that the, the best the best art comes from editing, right? Like being able to, to to channel those three things: the creativity, the filtration, and then like what not to release is like so important because otherwise, well, yeah, otherwise you end up putting stuff that out that maybe you'd, maybe you will regret later you know what i mean like that's important to have that kind of collaboration when i'm doing my own stuff i try to try to try to master all three of those things and through time i find it like if i write a bunch of songs and then i wait a few months i'm able to go back and edit or know what's good and what's bad like that's helpful but to have a, a team that's that must be really really kind of I don't know, nice to know you have that support. We we learn, and that's part of the process. Uh, and then you, you make apologies for it by not doing that song again. Or if there's something that you're not happy with musically, like we've gone back and... Uh, especially when we were getting, we were doing a lot of cons, there were certain songs like Best in Life, uh, which is what if Conan the Barbarian wrote an advice column? Uh, we changed right. that up to be a little bit more upbeat for cons. And so we changed some of the rhythms and some of the things that were happening in the song. And so we have different versions of some of our songs that we play at different times. And that's okay. 
Uh, and you right. can re-record and re-release if you want to. There ain't no rules in nerd music. We make the rules. We are the rule right. makers. So And the rule breakers. So with music, it, it's changed kind of over the course of, of our band's career because, uh, well, one, I started playing piano a couple years ago for the band, um, which started because I was... Um, I, my sister had been living with us and uh, her piano was here and we used to play the piano so much as kids and I still did, but just not on stage or anything. And my bandmates came in while I was playing the piano one day and went, since when do you play the piano? Because I didn't tell them. And next thing oh, you wow. know, <laughs> so I was part of the stretch goals for trust issues was I got a professional um uh, piano uh, keyboard. It's actually sitting just to my right right now. Her name is Rosalind Franklin. She's a Casio PX5S. And yeah, Dr. Rosalind Franklin, the true discoverer of the structure of DNA. Fuck Watson and Crick. She wasn't credited, right? She wasn't. Um, in fact, I, I wrote a song about it. It's called Fuck Watson and Crick. Um, That's tight. Yeah, it's, it's on YouTube. It, it was linked only to our Kickstarter backers. But you know what? For you... For you and for your listeners, I'm going to make it public today. So uh, after wow. this podcast, you can go. I just decided that yeah, you can go to our YouTube channel, PDX Broadsides, and listen to a live recording of uh, Fuck Watson and Crick. It is not safe for work, but you're probably home anyway, so it's fine. It's a pretty rough live recording, but it's uh, the the professional recording is going on our upcoming EP, partially funded by the uh, Kickstarter Um so we did this last time with Trust Issues, too. The EP that had the dirty songs on it was called Lust Issues. And so this album is <laughs> Relatable Content. And so the EP with the more adult content is called Relatable AF. That's tight. <laughs> so uh, Fuck Watson and Crick will be going on there. But the the short version of that history is um, my favorite science joke is, what did Watson and Crick discover? Rosalind Franklin's notes. Um, because hey. she, she um, was doing, she was a postdoc. So as a postdoc, uh, this is a, a very personal story for me. Uh, you have to watch who is listening to what data you're generating. Um, so she's like the great grandmama of x-ray crystallography, shooting little beams at uh, biological structures to show uh, their shape. And so photograph 51 showed that the backbone of the DNA uh, double helix was actually on the outside. Watson and Crick had been sitting, I shit you not, in this bar um, next to Cambridge called the Eagle, building little models out of essentially like um, connects blocks. <laughs> like they were just sticking balls and sticks together going, it probably looks like this. And they had the DNA mm. backbone on the inside. And Linus Pauling said, oh yeah, it's totally on the inside. That's cool. And her picture said, no, it wasn't. So they reversed their structure and published it in the same journal, the, the exact same issue where Rosalind Franklin released her data, but she didn't get credited for the Nobel Prize. Her boss, Maurice Wilkins, who gave the data to Watson and Crick, he got a share of the Nobel Prize instead. Mm. So why, why do you think they just didn't want, was it, it, it was because they were sexist or because they were like embarrassed to admit they didn't know? Or why did she get like dissed like that, do you think? Uh, well, partially because, you know, they're 
they're dicks. Um, and yeah. they didn't like her. Uh, they refer to her as our dark lady a whole lot. Um, she wasn't the friendliest of human beings, but at the same time, she was a woman in science in the fifties. Do you, I don't. I can't even imagine right. what you have to go through or what you have to steel yourself against. Like I know what it's like to be a woman in science in now, and it's still like sometimes it's really hard. It sucks. Um, I come up against people who are small minded a lot, and part of the reason why I do so much science communication, why I'm willing to come on a music podcast and talk about science is because I love what I do. And I want you to know that science is for everyone and not just old bearded white dudes. Like, right. It's if you're science is for the enthusiastic. If you love science, come be a part of this mission, there is a place for you. And part of how I do that is getting out there and not being an old bearded white dude. <laughs> because we've had en enough of those people. Okay, so let's talk about your upcoming projects and where people can follow the PDX Broadsides and show their love and support. Oh, thank you. Um, so you can find the PDX Broadsides online at pdxbroadsides.com. We are on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, as well as Spotify, iTunes Music, and where all good music and some mediocre music is also sold. Uh, right now on Bandcamp, uh, the PDX Broadsides, all of our songs are pay what you will, because we know what it's like right now to be stuck at home and maybe not making making that money. Um, we want you to have something to get you through right now. And if you can toss us some coin later, like, we are your witcher. We are here for you. And if you can't, like, spread the love and tell other people about the music that we're making. That's what's up. And you have your own Twitter, Dame underscore DNA, right? Yes. And you can also look up hashtag Team Placenta. You will find me yelling about the placenta and music and the things that inspire me. Dr. Hebert, this has been a very great interview and very like unique. And I am impressed by just how you've carved this niche for yourself, both the music and science. And I want to know if there's anything you want to talk about that I didn't ask you. I guess the one thing that I would want to say is uh, you can, you can be both a scientist and artist. STEAM, STEM plus arts is really, really important. And I'm inspired by people like Tom Lehrer, who mm. managed to merge science and music together. And that's, what I would love to do for the rest of my life is continue to make science, make music, and sometimes merging them together. And uh, I have some ideas of how I would like to do that. Uh, starting this summer, I'm hoping to interview scientists and musicians together about how they work together, um, how science inspires musicians, and how music might inspire science, because there's a lot of cases of both. So be on the lookout for the Sci Music podcast coming out this summer. Ooh, that sounds tight. Um, my wife is a science teacher, um, a grade school science teacher, and she's a rapper. And so she is, she's on the same wavelength as you like. And her, a lot of her mission is she wants to really inspire, especially the young women to become scientists like that she teaches and also to write raps about it and stuff. So she's, yeah, I feel like you two would get along well on the same wavelength. Please put me in touch. I would love to hear what she's doing. And um, science Tom on Twitter also uh, writes raps and parodies for his kids in the classroom. And I think that like edu rap, 
is really yeah. it, it's part of like Dewey Decimal System and the Edgar Allan Poe uh, EP. Like that's teaching through music is gonna get it in your brain forever and ever, and I'm down right. with that. Science with Tom. He actually we went to college together. He was a few years younger than me. No we the same summer camp. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> Small world. <laughs> Oh, nerds. I love you all so much. Let's end with the song. Do you want to set it up and introduce it? Sure. I can't believe that it's going to be this song of all the songs that we've ever written. But uh, so this is um, a not safe for work song about Rosalind Franklin, Dr. Rosalind Franklin, who came up with the true structure of uh, DNA and her results were stolen by Watson and Crick. So this is a song in honor of Rosalind Franklin and in defense of all scientists, particularly uh, non-male scientists who have had their work co-opted. We hear you, we see you, and fuck those guys. Amen. Here we go. Made a barrier to the carrier of our genetic code. Gonna use 
Thank you, Dr. Jessica Hebert, for being on the podcast. Next week, we have my man, Sean Levin, another Pacific Northwest resident. Sean, I went to middle school and high school with, and he was the singer of my first band. And he's had a very interesting career, and uh, both artistically and in his day-to-day life. He's a really cool guy, and I love him a lot. And so we kind of brainstorm about the early years of my journey in music, and that goes all the way back to like when I was 12. And we did this conversation remotely, but I adore my friend Sean, and it's a fun interview. So tune in for that. Roger Rabbit Collector on Instagram. Let's get those followers. <laughs> no, only if you want. Only if you want. But it's a, it's. I'm proud of that Instagram. It's cool. Um. Yeah. Okay. Have a great week, everyone. Stay safe. Keep those masks on. This is nuts, but it's not going to last forever. And uh, I love you all. Okay. Bye.